You like my hog? Huh? I used to have one of these when I, uh, actually it wasn't mine, but I rode one for the very first time when uh, I was seven years old. And this has 50cc horsepower. Now, uh, when I was seven, my friend uh, Jeff Alderson, he had one just like this. And uh, we loved to ride that. And uh, every single day, uh, I would go to uh, his house, and we would take this 50cc, and uh, we would go around 50 times uh, in his red, around his red barn. I think we got a picture of one like it. And uh, we loved to ride uh, until we just couldn't ride anymore. And uh, this thing had power uh, for us. And pretty soon what happened was all the other kids who lived out in the country uh, near us, uh, they learned about all the races we had. And so they came to try to be a part of our motocross. And they would bring their uh, dirt bike or their moped. Some even brought their bicycles. And uh, we built this motocross ramp. And I'll tell you, 50 cc's for a seven-year-old is a lot of power. Now, I'll never forget uh, one particular day uh, when I was uh, riding. Jeff and I always won every race. And uh, I was way ahead of the other kids. In fact, while I was driving, I'd just kind of wave at them like, Hello, <laughs> you're on a bicycle, and I'm not. And um, <clears throat> I would just pass them around. Well, eventually, though, I came up to this hole, and I hit it, and I flipped over the handlebars and totally wiped out. It knocked the wind out of me, and uh, for a seven-year-old, you don't want to wake up crying, so uh, you just kind of, oh, it's just the wind that got knocked out of me. And so uh, I didn't hold back uh, anything uh, tear-wise and actually bawled like a baby. And... Um, then I got the bike, and it was still running, but I was scared to death to get back on it. And so I literally just took the bike, and I walked it all the way around the barn, and just kept going like this, all the way around it. And the bicycles are passing me at this point, you know. Kids are laughing at me, and they're like, dude, you're crazy. Get back on the bike. But there was no way I was going to do that. You know, a lot of us face things in life that are very similar. That's the way a lot of people handle life. We have all the power underneath us to take us someplace, but we refuse to tap into it. We have God's horsepower in our lives to help us in our marriages, to help us with our finances, to help us with our families, to help us in the workplace. We have all the horsepower that we need, but so much of the time, we want to live in our own strength and we're just taking our life and we're walking around even though we could get right back on it and it could take us exactly to a greater place, to a place that God wants. And we move it around and we walk up hills because we're scared. Or we go through narrow places because we're not sure 
God can get us through that. And we want to control everything. And before long, what happens is we hit a hole and we flip over the handlebars and we crash and we burn and we realize that we weren't really in control to begin with. Folks, every single one of us fail in this thing called life. In fact, everyone who I've ever known in my life who has succeeded greatly has also failed greatly. And when you fail, and you will fail, the key is to seek God's power and to get back on the dirt bike of life. To tap into His strength. And today, what I want us to do is talk about the third principle in our one-month-to-live kind of lifestyle, and it's probably the most difficult one, and it is to learn humbly. To learn humbly. It's the most difficult for us because it has some of the most power within it. There's power in humility, but most of the time, none of us want to go there. We want to control things. I mean, there is no way that we can live an intentional life and a passionate life without having God's power underneath us to propel us. There's no way that you can live a one-month-to-live lifestyle without God's power. And we have to tap into the power. We can't just walk beside it. We have to jump into it. And we do that by learning humility. And then God fills us with His power. The key verse for this principle is in Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like us all to kind of read it together. So let's go ahead. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What I'd like you to do is to go ahead and circle two words in your teaching outline, if uh, you're one of those that likes to do that. And uh, the first one is the word humbled. Circle that word humbled. And then secondly, circle the word obedient and then draw a line between the two of them. So circle the word humbled and the word obedient and draw a line between the two of them. Because humility and obedience go hand in hand. Now, humility is not saying this, I'm no good. I can't do anything right. I'm worthless. I'm just a humble servant of Jesus. But don't look at me while I teach. But even when you think about me, don't think about me, but just think about Jesus. Because it's not about me. It's all about Him. I can't do anything. Folks, that is not humility. You know what that is? Weirdness. And there are a lot of weird Christians out there that have this concept that humility means being the doormat to every other person around. And it just kills the heart of Christ. Practicing humility that way is not humility at all. Humility is placing yourself underneath God's authority and then humbly choosing to obey His teachings. 
Because I said, humility and obedience, they go hand in hand. And that's what the passage says. Then the passage goes on to say that God then exalted Jesus to the highest place. So the most humble one who ever walked planet Earth becomes the one who is exalted to the highest place. And that's the reality with your life and my life. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, what? God will humble you. When I try to control my life and the path that I want in my life, and I push my life around in my own control, when I allow my pride to get in the way of my relationship with God, God always humbles me. Just before uh, we started the jar, uh, when it was just a small inkling of a dream uh, six years ago, I was sitting uh, in a chair and I was looking out our backyard and we had some uh, trees that were out there. And I was looking out there and I just noticed this one big tree and I kept focusing on it. And I was like, oh God, you know, would you please kind of speak to me? Would you show me how you're going to use my life and um, do whatever you need to do and, and what you're going to do in this church? And then I felt God's prompting. It wasn't an audible voice. God didn't speak to me. I didn't hear it. But just in my spirit, I, I felt him say, well, look at the tree. And so I looked at this big tree in our backyard, and I'm like, yes, God, that's what we're going to be. We're going to be a tree, and I'm going to be a tree, that big kind of oak tree. And we're just going to grow, and we're going to touch people's lives. And then I felt in my spirit again, God said, you're looking at the wrong tree. So right in front of the window that I was looking out, we had planted a tree that was about six to eight feet tall. And I looked at that and I said, oh, that tree. And he's like, yeah, that tree. And I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, it's six to eight feet uh, tall. Eventually it'll grow up. It'll be just as big as that tree that I was looking at. So, okay. And God said, well, not really that tree. What I want you to do is look at the branch on the tree. So I'm like, okay, branch. I can be a branch, no problem, you know? No problem, God, I'll be a branch. That, that's good, we'll be a branch. He's like, well, not really a branch. How about a twig off the branch? So at that point, I'm like, well, at least it's wood, you know? And I'm like, okay, I can be the twig. And he said, no, 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 not the twig, the bud that is on the twig that's connected to the branch. And you see, folks, he humbled me to a point that when the church began to grow and things began to start happening, I had to remember that he ultimately is the one that grows the trees. I'm simply the bud. You see, the problem is, is that sometimes we puff ourselves up with pride so much that the only way that God can really use us is when he humbles us. You know, folks, I've never gotten that image out of my head until uh, this very moment. It's still there. God had to humble me to use me. He had to remind me that the growth of the church was not dependent upon Chris Bunch, but it was dependent upon his spirit moving and working in people's lives and those lives reaching out to their friends and family and changing them. 
And folks, if you try to raise yourself up in your own strength, and your own power, so many times God will humble you because that is the way he wants to use you. Today we're going to look at one of the greatest leaders of all time, but he was also one of the greatest followers of all time. And his name was Simon Peter. And there was a time in his life where he fell off the dirt bike of life And he hit this hole, he flew over the handlebars because of his pride. He crashed and he burned, and throughout his life he wasn't sure that God would ever be able to use him again. But God put him right back on the dirt bike again and gave him a whole new purpose, a whole new plan of how he was going to use him. So this morning, we're going to learn how to follow Peter's example. Now, we can all learn a lot from Peter because the reality is Peter blew it. I'm not going to ask for a sign of hands right now, but if I did, I'm sure many of you would say, you've blown it in life before. And yet God comes to him and he gives him a second chance. He says, I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for you. The greatest leaders I've found are those who are the greatest followers. They know how to submit themselves to the people around them rather than always having to be the one that's in the limelight. They don't have issues with authority. Whenever uh, someone comes who is of authority over them, they're fine to watch. But every time that you see a bad leader, it's someone who has to have their thumb on every single person and they have to be the authority of all. And those people are not good leaders. But the greatest leaders are those who learn to be the greatest followers. And have Jesus in their life. And that's exactly what happened to Simon Peter. So let's go ahead and look at three things that we can learn from his life that will help us to live in the power of humility in our life. Here's the first thing I have to learn. I have to learn from my losses. I have to learn from my losses. Everybody loses in life. Everybody blows it. Everybody falls in life. But... When we fall, we have to learn from those fallings, from those failures. Jesus told Simon Peter that I'm going to call you to be the rock. Okay? The WWF now, you know, big uh, movie star rock. Dwayne. Yeah, good, thanks. A little bit too into it down here. But that's who, Jesus, that's who Peter was. He was this kind of big guy, and Jesus came to him and said, you know what, you're going to be the rock. In fact, Jesus even changed his name from Simon to Peter, which actually means the rock. And he said, hey, Simon, you know what, or hey, Peter, you know what, you're my first round draft pick. You are the best one out of everyone else. You are the person I'm going to build the whole team around. You're going to be the rock that I build my church upon. And Peter, just as many of us, he kind of got proud. He was kind of overconfident. And on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he got all of his friends together and they had a meal together. And while he's there, he says, guys, I hate to tell you this, but the fact is that many of you are going to experience some of the most difficult circumstances in your life. And every single one of you, you're going to experience some huge failures. You're all going to walk away from me, guarantee it. And Peter kind of piped up. He's like, oh, no, not me. Not me, Lord. You can count on me. 
I don't know about these other 11. I've been kind of concerned about why you picked them anyways. You know? But, um, hey, not me. Not me. Uh, You know what? You're probably right. They're all going to fail. They're all going to mess up. You can't count on them, but you can count on me. I'll step up to the plate. I'll stick with it. I'll be with you to the bitter end. I'm even willing to die with you if I have to. I'm the champion. I'm the rock. You can count on me. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Peter, before the rooster crows this morning, you will deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter was so proud that he thought he was going to change the world in his own power and his own strength, and he crashed and he burned. He tried to control the dirt bike of his own life. He thought he had it all together, but then he hit a hole, he flipped over the handlebars, and he denied Jesus three times. Look at what the Bible says. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out, sighed, and wept bitterly. You know what, folks? That's one of the greatest pictures in the Bible of deep bitterness and regret. And Jesus didn't have to say a word to him. He just looked at him. He looked at him with eyes of compassion straight into Peter's heart. And he could see the regret and the guilt and the shame that Peter was experiencing. You know, maybe some of you are right there today. Maybe you feel like the wheels of your life have gone off the track. That you've hit a hole. That maybe you have gone over the handlebars of your marriage. That you've flown over. That maybe you're going through a relationship right now where there's emotional pain and you feel like you'll never be able to make it. Maybe you have an emotional crash. Maybe spiritually, in your own life, you've been denying Christ more than three times even, but you're here today. And yet, regardless of what you're going through, Jesus looks at your heart, He sees the regret, He sees the guilt, He sees the shame, And he says, I still have a plan. Because of the cross, folks, failure is never final. I still have a plan for you. I'm not done with you yet. I still have a purpose. I'm going to get you back on the dirt bike again so that you can go around the barn a few more times. You know, one of the greatest things that I value about the God of the Bible is that he's a God of second chances. It's the only religion that I know of where there's second chance after second chance after second chance. And Peter found out that that was true. And there are two things that we have to learn to do from our losses. Because the reality is, folks, that not always do you learn from your losses. The reality is, sometimes people never learn from the failures in their life. They just keep doing the same stupid thing, stupid thing, stupid thing. But when we learn from them, there are two things that happen. The first is this. We take responsibility for my failures. I take responsibility for my failures. We live in a no-fault society. 
in which we're always playing the blame game with everyone else. Nobody accepts fault. They just blame everybody else. We blame our spouse. We blame our kids. We blame the church. We blame our boss. But if we're really going to change in our lives, the reality is we have to look in the mirror. If I'm going to learn from my losses, I have to accept responsibility for my own failures. Peter had been so proud just a few months before this failure kind of unraveled. He was with the rest of the disciples one day, and they're all sitting around and they're like, hey, who do you think is going to be the greatest besides Jesus? And everyone's kind of bowing in, trying to get you know, their own particular um, way, and Peter's doing it. And Peter's like, yeah, I think I'll sit at his right side. No, I'll sit at his right side. And they're all battling for who's going to be the closest to Jesus. And Peter was proud. And he thought that God needed him. He thought, hey, Jesus, you can't do this thing that you're trying to do unless you have me. Now, folks, let me let you in on a little secret this morning. God doesn't need you. He doesn't. He doesn't need me. But He chooses to use us. So Peter is the number one draft pick. He doesn't think that God can exist without him. But when Peter crashes and fails and burns, he then goes to the exact opposite. First he thought God couldn't live without him. Now he says God could never use him again. He'd given up. He thought there's no way that God could give me another chance. And yet God said, Peter, now I can use you. Now I can exactly use you because you've gotten away from your pride and you're only thinking about me. Folks, God can't use us when we're proud. He can only use us when we're humble. He can't use me when I'm proud. Because you know what? If I'm proud, I take credit for everything. Look, God, look what I've built. Look what I've done. But God can use us when we give up and we think, you know what? I can't do it. I lose all my pride because it's in those steps in that God jumps in and He does the remarkable. You know, I've uh, been with several people at the end of their life And the one thing that I've noticed is that when they only have a a month to live, maybe a few months to live, what often happens is, is that they lose all of their pride. I mean, it just gets taken right out from underneath them. Many times they have to depend on people to do everything, to pour their water, to help them to use the restroom, just everything. They have no pride. And the reality is, We all should live our lives like that. No pride. You know, there are way too many times I blow up with pride and I try to take control of everything in my life. I try to control my image, try to control my problems, try to control my pain, try to control everything, and pretty soon I hit a hole, I flip over the handlebars, and I crash and I burn. In fact, sometimes I've actually been to that point where I'm like, God, you need me. Folks, like I said, God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. But he chooses to use you because he loves you. Folks, when we come to the place where we lose our pride, 
That's when God can use us the most. So we take responsibility for our failure, and secondly, I have to let go of my guilt. You have to let go of your guilt. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was an angel that was in the tomb, and this is what the angel says. The angel says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. If you would, I'd like you to underline those two words, and Peter. And Peter. Now, many of you, when you underline it, you're, like, you're probably thinking, I want to underline that. That didn't mean anything. And Peter, oh, wow, that was real important. I mean, the angel comes and he's like, Jesus is alive. He's not here. Don't hang around here anymore. Go to Galilee. Tell the rest of the disciples to meet him there. He's going there. And the angels give these powerful words. But the most powerful words in that verse is, and Peter. Don't forget to tell Peter. He's still included. God has not forgotten him. Folks, those may be the most two powerful words in the entire New Testament. Because God was saying, I never give up on people. I'm not done with you yet, Peter. In fact, I can finally use you now. I couldn't use you before. He was too proud. But now that you've lost everything, including your pride, now I can use you the most. I can raise you up now to be the leader of the church. A few weeks ago, I spoke on the issue of shame. And I was encouraging people that if they need forgiveness for anything in their life, that they would come up here. And we had these two huge 55-gallon barrel drums of oil. And there was this little, uh, little uh, kind of inlet, little hole at the top of the can. No one else could see it, and they could drop those in there. And pretty soon, a real big guy walks up, and he's kind of crying. And I'm like, man... What happened? And then he came up to me and he said, the person that I'm most shameful of is myself. And he said, I realize today that the person that the hardest to forgive is myself. You ever think about that before? That sometimes the hardest person for you to forgive in your life is yourself? In Peter's life, the hardest person that he had to forgive was himself. He felt like he could never be used by God again. That he would be put on the shelf for the rest of eternity. And God comes back three days later, and he meets with Peter along a lake a few days later, and he takes him off the shelf and he says, Peter, I want to use you. I love you. You've always been the most important thing. Now let's go forward. Let's get back on the dirt bike and let's go. Some of you are feeling guilty over a sin right now that you have confessed 40 different times to God. And you're saying, but I got to, Chris. You don't understand. You don't know how much I've messed up. I can't forgive myself for this one thing. And I just want to say this morning, who do you think you are that you can't forgive yourself when God has already forgiven you? Do you think you're greater than God? Do you think you're more holier than God? 
I mean, when it comes right down to it, if God can forgive you, why can't you forgive yourself? Today, no matter what it is in your past, if you've confessed it to God, He's already forgiven and He's going forward. And you're still on the bike like this, not allowing it to go anywhere, even though the power is all there to have forgiveness, and you're just pushing it around the barn. And so God wants to forgive it. And then He says, let go of the guilt. Let it go. Folks, God has a plan for you, and He's not done with you yet. So I learn from my losses, and then secondly, I surrender to God's strength. I surrender to God's strength. You know, it is our failures and our weaknesses that turn us to God more than it is our successes. Paul, another guy who royally blew it too, uh, wrote over half of the New Testament and God used him. But a part of Paul's story is that he had a thorn in his flesh. Now the reality is, uh, biblical scholars don't know what the thorn is. Some scholars have speculated that the thorn in his flesh was his wife. I don't think that, ladies, okay? That's what some people think. That is not what I think, okay? But most scholars think it was his eyesight, that he had trouble seeing. And can you imagine, he wrote over half of the New Testament, how difficult it must have been for him to write. And uh, we're never really sure what the thorn in the flesh is, but eventually Paul says, you know what? I want to pray that God would heal me and remove this thorn from my flesh. In fact, it says he prayed three different times for God to heal him, and God didn't heal him. God said no. You see, God often says three things. Yes, no, and wait. And when he says no, sometimes he does it because it's the best thing for us. Now look at Paul's response when he prays and he gets the answer no. Each time he said My grace, that is, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, Paul said, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul discovered that when he was at his weakest, that God was at the strongest point. It's my very weaknesses. It's those things in your life that you want to hide from everybody else that you don't want anyone else to see, those are the things that God wants to use the most to impact the world. When I'm proud, I take credit of everything. But when I'm weak, and I think there's no way I can do anything without your power, that's exactly where God wants to use you. You may not believe this, but every week when I stand up here, I feel so inadequate and insecure. Every week when Monday comes, I start already getting a little bit nervous thinking, God, what do you want me to teach to these 200 people or so that come? What am I going to do? I need something great for them. I need something that will change their life. I need something in depth from your word so that it penetrates in their life that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, they still remember it. I need something that will interest them. I need something that will grab them. 
I need something, God, that is going to do something. It's got to be good, or I've just wasted 200 hours of people's lives. And I start feeling the pressure. I'm like, God! And then God reminds me, Chris, you can't do it. I'll do it through you. You see, when I surrender my insecurity and my inadequacies to God, that's when His power shows up. God, I'm weak. I can't do it. But you be strong, God, in my weaknesses. And God shows up and He's in the power of the weaknesses of your life. And He lifts me up. And all of a sudden, lives are changed, not because I change lives, and I don't save anybody. One of the biggest pet peeves I have with other preachers is when they go, Yep, I've saved 400. You didn't save 400. You didn't even save yourself. Nobody can change or save. God does that. And any time I feel the pressure and I try to control things, it's just like I'm taking the dirt bike and I'm just looking at seven years old going around that barn all by myself while the other kids are enjoying the purpose of what a dirt bike was meant for. But when I say, God, I'm weak, I can't do it, He fills me up. He fills me up with His strength and His power. Folks, I feel so weak every single day. I do. I feel inadequate. And my day only gets stronger when I admit my weaknesses. I don't try to hide them. I don't try to cover them up. I don't try to control my image. I don't try to control my problems. I just say, God, take over. Fill me up because you know I'm a royal screw-up. It's time for you to do something. And you know what? The past couple of years, God has revealed this to me more and more and more. At each time I try to raise myself up, God humbles me and He lowers me. But when I surrender everything to Him, that's when He can use me. Folks, the weaknesses in your life are the very things that God wants to use. The reality is, folks, if you never had any weaknesses in your life, you'd never trust God. You wouldn't. If you had no weaknesses in your life, you'd never focus on Him. You'd never try to be in a relationship with the one who knows you best and loves you most. Folks, it's in your weaknesses that you empathize with people and that you relate and identify with people. You ever notice people never identify when some person goes up and they're like, yep, got it all together. Man, I've got it all together. Those are people we walk away from. It's the people who share their problems, their struggles. And you know what? But there's one let's focus on who has helped me through it, that those are the people that we relate with. And it's in our weaknesses that we learn to trust God. So I learn from my losses, I surrender to God's strength, and then finally, I humbly pursue God's path. I humbly pursue God's path. The Bible says this, I ran in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. If you would, just underline that phrase, I ran. I ran. You see, I've discovered that when I'm in the middle of God's will, that I can run. That I can go full throttle. That I'm all in, pedal to the metal. 
You don't have to sit back and say, oh, I'm no good. I don't do anything right. Don't look at me. No, I step forward and I say, I've got all these faults, I've got all these failures, but let's focus in on God and His power and let's see what happens. He's strong. He can help me step out of the weaknesses and into His strengths. I'm going to run into His commands. I'm going to step into His greatness. And He's called me to follow the One who is great so that I might be great. You know what? God wants you to have success. It doesn't mean that, you know, tomorrow you're going to get a check for a million. If you do, remember, I'm the one that taught about you were going to have success, okay? Only He can do it, okay? Only He can do it. Several years ago, BK, uh, before kids, um, my wife, uh, Jennifer, and I went on a vacation to Alaska. It was in June, so it's the best time to be in Alaska They had about 17 to 18 hours of sunlight uh, every single day. Um, We just had a ball, and every day we tried to do a different adventure because we didn't know if we would ever be back again, kind of one month to live. We weren't sure. And one day we decided we'd go horseback riding up a glacier. That was my idea. But Jennifer said, I'll go with you. And we got there, and there was this guide, and he says, I have ridden horses my whole life up and down these glaciers. I'm the expert. Some of the places that we go today will be so narrow that you'll think you won't fit, but just follow me. Some places you're going to have to duck your head and get down on the horse, but just follow me. Sometimes we're going to hit a slope that is so steep that you're going to want to slow down and pull back on the horse, but don't. Go full throttle all the way up. Whatever you do, don't stop. If you slow down, you're going to run into some real problems, so don't stop. Now about that time, I looked to my right, and there was a guy on a horse that looked like this. That looked like this. That looked like this. There you go. Anybody know who that is? The Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski. I'm not lying. I thought it was him. I started freaking out right then. I'm like, I'm not following this guide, and this is probably your brother. So I am leaving. Because if you've ever been to Alaska before, people are just unique there. Nothing wrong with them. I love them, but they're unique, okay? And so about that time, Jennifer's like, let's go. And... uh You know, it probably didn't help. I go, Jen, look, there's the Unabomber. And everybody's like, oh, gosh. Well, after listening to the guy and then seeing Ted right beside us, we decided that we were going to follow this guide for our life. I mean, he was the expert. He was the one that decided uh, that we were going to trust him. Now, to be honest, when we hit that first slope up the glacier and everyone's down like this and you're going as hard as you can with this horse, I'm thinking, I don't trust this guy. I don't trust him at all. He's going to kill us and he's taking his brother to, you know, end us. But when I got to the top of the slope and I got to see the beautiful scenery that was all around and I realized that whatever that guy did for the rest of the trip, I was going to follow There were other people behind us. They pulled back on the horse. The horses got uh, real irritated, and they went right back down the slope. 
the people never got a chance to even go up because they went back down. They had another guide at the bottom. But Jen and I stayed right behind the guide and did exactly what he did, whatever he did. And we saw some awesome sights of Alaska. And we had a blast. And folks, it's the same way with God's will. If you do not follow right behind him, anytime you try to get before, if you don't follow right behind God, when you hit the steep slopes of life, you'll go straight back down and you'll have to go up it again. And if you veer off the path, again, you'll have to go back up it in your own strength. But if you look to him and you pursue the path that he wants for your life, you'll be safe. And you'll get to see the beautiful scenery that God has, the plan for your life. The key to living in God's power is living a life of humility. It doesn't mean that you're not going to hit a hill and flip over the handlebars and wipe out at times. But you get back up and you realize that God has power to help you get around the red barn again rather than being the one kid who just holds the dirt bike while everyone else enjoys life. Today, we have our ministry and mission fair. There are signs all around in the back. And the reality is that God has a path for you to pursue, something for you to give back to what God has given to you, to be used here in the church. Now, friends, you're not here by accident. The reason you're here today is because God wants to use something that you have. And he chose you not to just sit and soak in everything that you got, but to get your hands dirty, to get on the dirt bike, and to pursue a path that he has for your life. God brought you here because you have something that God wants to use. Some gift, some talent, some ability... And I encourage you today, and the tables that are back there, take five or ten minutes and just check them out. The Colts don't even play today. (laughs) Now, my my Steeler fans, I know they play today. And any other fans that we have, okay? But uh, just get plugged in today. God doesn't want you to go through life like this but he wants you to get on the hog and to pursue the path that he has for you. Let's pray. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we know it is so hard for us to be humble. We long to control our own lives. I know, God, I especially try to control all the things in my life. And yet, I know when I do that, God, I'm setting myself up to hit a hole and to flip over the handlebars and to crash and to burn. And then, God, I get back up and I want to control again and I'm scared and I'm fearful and I don't want to get back on the dirt bike of life, but I just want to push and put around. But God, the dirt bikes, our lives, were not meant just to put around. But we were made to live life to the fullest and to get back on track even when we fall down. Lord, I pray right now for those who have never allowed you to take control of their lives. I pray that 
just silently in their own hearts, God, that they could pray this prayer. It's words, but it's their words. Dear Jesus, I want you to drive my life from now on. I relinquish my need to be in control, and I'm tired of edging you out. I ask you to take control of my life. Forgive me of all my sins and help me to have a fresh start. Now, God, show all of us a path of ministry that we can pursue. Some way, God, that we can just help out in this church called the JAR. And as we choose these things, God, may your church reflect more of who you are and may lives change for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.